you've got a Bible with you, you could pick that up. If you don't have one, it's going to appear up on the screen, so don't worry about that. Uh, We'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 4, and I'm going to invite Libby up to come and read for us. Now, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as far as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh, so that he may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, were there with them with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learnt that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews, as they have been subject to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, died. It's a shocking story, isn't it? And uh, it's not the end of it. So when Steve comes to preach in just a moment, we'll be reading that bit and what, uh, what comes next. So uh, that'll be something to look forward to. If you've been looking in in touch and uh, happen to have read the bit about this morning's service, you will see that the title for this is Raiders of the Lost Ark, which maybe m- m- mean that some of you... Uh, imagine that you might be watching a film this morning. I'm going to disappoint you. We're not. I'm sorry, Phil, but, you know, it's just the way to look at it positively. The film's about two hours. I, even I don't preach that long. So, so your lunches are safe. Um, nor am I anything like Harrison Ford or Indiana Jones. Um, I have to laugh so loudly. Um, I, I, I can't ride a horse and not very good on motorbike. Not that I've ever even tried, actually. And if I had one of those whips that he uses, I would probably cause untold damage more to myself than anything else. So, I'm sorry, I'm not Harrison Ford. But we are looking at a a puzzling passage in some ways. Uh, Libby read to us uh, the the first part of it. The the whole of the passage we're looking at actually extends right the way through chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, and a bit of chapter 7. I'm not going to read it all, you'll be pleased to know, uh, but I, I will be 
taking us through uh, the, the story. Um, so we've talked about the film. Um, the film is interesting though because it is uh, the story, if you know it, uh, is about a group of Nazis that are trying to find this thing called the Ark of the Covenant so that they can use it as part of their Second World War effort. A bit more of that later, but um, the, the film writers have borrowed various ideas from this passage we're looking at. The rest of the story in the film is completely fanciful. The, the special effects are unduly scary, and uh, as I'm been told by some of you who have seen the title and have thought, oh, yes, okay. It used to scare me as a child, one person said. Um, and you know, so we're not going to dwell on <laughs> the, 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 the film, believe me. But what we are looking at really happened. It's not just a bit of fiction. So as we come to look at this, although the vast majority of the passages that uh, the, the story is drawn from, talks about this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. I don't want us to just go straight into that and think about all sorts of uh, ideas that come out of that. This is rooted in a particular time in history with real people facing real events, and they were living in days of darkness. Uh, they were suffering from war, and I put war and its companions. What do I mean by that? Well, we have seen uh, in the passage that Libby read to us uh, that one of the inevitable uh, results of war is that people die. In fact, vast numbers of people died just in that passage. Thousands of them. Uh, and that's one of the things which we see in war wherever it happens. Looking around the room, I suspect that most of us have never had first-hand experience of having been in a war or living in a country that is at war on its own shores. One or two of you have served in the services and have been in war zones. Uh, one or two of you may be old enough to remember the last time that war affected our land, the Second World War, with uh, enemy bombers coming and attacking our cities and ports and so on. But most of us, this is just something we have seen on a screen in our, uh, our living rooms, heard about in the newspapers and on the radio, and have been touched at second hand, perhaps some of our family involved in some of the conflicts that have gone on around the world. But we also know from what we see on our, uh, on our uh, television screens that war has many things that come along with it. There's consequences, things like food shortages, suffering and uncertainty, bereavement on a massive scale. And that is what the Israelites were living through at the, the time that this was going on. Uh, they were days of darkness. They were probably living in fear. The numbers of probably the younger men who have been killed in these battles that we've just read of would have been a sizable proportion of their whole population and taken from one particular section, young men. It reminds me of things I've read about after the First World War when uh, you know, so many men went off to war and didn't come back. And there were many widows, many fiancés deprived of their future husbands, many women who never had the opportunity to marry simply because there were no men. And it has that knock-on effect. 
days of darkness. The people they were fighting then were the Philistines. Uh, they, they occupied the coastland uh, alongside uh, Israel, between Israel and the uh, Mediterranean Sea. Uh, in Judges, book of Judges, chapter 3, we read that uh, God used these people to test and chastise the Israelites. And that brings us on to the next bit. It's a spiritual darkness is on the land. Over the last few weeks when we've been going through these passages, again and again we have come up against the fact that, that the spiritual leaders of the land, uh, they were described in one of our sermons as dirty, rotten scoundrels. It's a, sort of a love of film titles, I think. It's, um, but uh, that's what they were. They were people who... Uh, stole and who uh, abused the, the people who came to the temple, t- took advantage of the women who worked there, uh, and uh, particularly two men, Hophni and Phineas, we read about them in this passage as well. They were the sons of the high priest, who, although he did rebuke them at one occasion, his rebuke had no effect, and he really didn't pursue it, and uh, God sent a prophet to basically out him for his faithlessness in leadership. And you may wonder, well, is this part of, is this war part of the Lord's chastisement for their lack of faithfulness to him? Uh, But it had, their lack of spirituality, their lack of godliness, their lack of obedience to God, of of a love for good and, uh, and things that are right and pure had an effect upon the whole attitude uh, that, uh, the, 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 that showed itself in the people. Now, before we get on any further, what is this ark that we're talking about? Some of you might be thinking, if you're not familiar with what this is, uh, you, you're thinking, well, that there's an ark in the Bible and it's a great big boat with lots of animals in. Well, that was Noah's ark. And it was basically a, a very basic ship. This is something quite different. It's basically a box. It's not a huge box. It would fit on the back seat of your car. might not fit through the back door of my car, only a Toyota I go, but it would fit on, uh, on the back seat. It's about four foot long. That's 122 centimeters, for those of you who like that sort of thing. It's about two foot six uh, in the other directions, high and wide or deep, and, uh, which is about 76 centimeters. Don't say that I don't move with the times. Um, and it was covered with gold. But it had a particular significance. It was created to the design that God himself had given the Israelites. And inside it were kept the two tablets of stone that God wrote the law on and gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. It wasn't an idol. It wasn't something to be worshipped. It wasn't something uh, that had in itself intrinsic power. But it was a symbol of God's covenant with them. God made promises to his chosen people uh, that he would be their God, that they would be his people, that he would lead them and guide them, and they were to follow him, and they were to give him their allegiance. And this Ark of the Covenant, containing the law of the covenant, uh, stood as a a reminder and a, a, a visible symbol of that covenant. There was, uh, when it was in the, um, the tabernacle and temple, uh, on occasion, the glory of, of, of God would come and settle above it. It didn't come from it. It didn't go into it. It didn't go around it. But it, people you know, like Moses met with God and spoke with God in the presence that was visible above this 
Ark of the Covenant. And it, it came with all sorts of uh, conditions and rules and regulations about how it was to be treated, how, uh, who could approach it, how it should be moved and when, and wasn't to be touched. And there, there were special ways of transporting it as they moved on, uh, from one place to another during the time when they were coming into the Promised Land. How they treated it, and in this passage, this is the important point. How they treated it showed what they thought of God, showed how they viewed God's covenant. Did they despise it? Did they follow it? Did they um, adore him for it? And we'll see that they had a different attitude to that uh, as we go on. The relevance today, well, you may say, this seems very strange to us, doesn't it? We have no Ark of the Covenant. We have no... Um, sort of temples and things like that. The covenant that God made with, with us, well, we live in a new covenant. All the things in the old covenant were just simply pointing forward to Jesus. And now that Jesus has come, he's instituted a new covenant. That, uh, and, and we are the children of a new covenant. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to him. God has made you promises, and we belong to that covenant. And it's, the relevance of this might be for us to think, how do we treat the things of God? Because how we treat the things of God might give us an insight into what we think about God himself. We don't have a gold-covered box to treat with certain respect. But there's so much that God has given us, has done for us, has asked us to do what are our attitudes towards it? We'll return to this later on. Well, let's get into the story. They're at war but with both man and God. The, the, the war with man bit, I think, is pretty obvious from the passage that Libby read. They're at war with Philistines. It's not going well. They've just been uh, uh, defeated. And it's as if someone says, let's find something to give us an advantage. You know, what, what is the latest stealth weapon we could get hold of? And, and the question was, or suggestion must have been raised, what about bringing the Ark of the Covenant to, <laughs> to, to the uh, uh, battle? Let's put it out in front of us, and we will then win, because God will be with us. That's a little bit like the Raiders of, of the Lost Ark film. The reason why the Nazis wanted the Ark of the Covenant there's a quote that comes from the film, an army which carries the ark before it is invincible. And that was very much what the Jews were thinking. It's also uh, <laughs> the, the, the way that the Philistines saw it as well, which should flag up a warning sign. The Philistines didn't believe in God. They believed in gods. They had particular gods that they worshipped, and we would describe them as pagans. They had a spirituality, but it was a false spirituality. It was an evil spirituality. But they knew what the Israelites were trying to do because it's what they would do. Let's get one of our idols, they would say. Let's carry it into battle. It will frighten our enemies. It will give us power. And that's exactly the same way that the Israelites were thinking. And yet, they were using pagan ways and means of doing it. It's like treating God as some sort of lucky charm. Oh, let's carry it. We'll be in invincible. They weren't. They were defeated, horribly so. 
I forget how many, uh, 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel died in that battle. And the ark itself was captured by the Philistines. And then God acts. First of all, he acts against the Israelites. They were defeated and the ark captured. And we also read that Hophni and Phinehas were killed. The high priest's sons, these evil people who had been misleading Israel for years and abusing the people of Israel for years, were killed. Uh, you may remember in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel that that was foretold, that they would both die on the same day. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 2. I've got the verse 38 written down, but I don't know quite why I wrote that down because I don't think there is a verse 38 in chapter 2. So it's somewhere in chapter 2. I'll leave you to do your homework and find that again. Um, But it had been predicted, it had been foretold that they would both die on the same day. The story that follows on after... Uh, the bit that Libby read uh, recalls how Eli, the chief priest, the father of these two, was sitting um, out in the road in Shiloh where the, the tabernacle was and a man came running from the battlefield to pass on the news of this horrible defeat and he tells them what's happened and then he goes to Eli and uh, the man hurried over to Eli who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate. Uh, His neck was broken and he died for he was an old man and he was heavy. He goes on and talks about Phineas's wife, Eli's uh, daughter-in-law. She was pregnant and about to give birth. And when she heard the news, um, she was overcome uh, by her labor pains. As she was dying, the women attending uh, her said, Don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. The glory has departed from Israel uh, because of the capture of the Ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the Ark of God has been captured. God is at work here. This is not just some sort of sad you know, coincidental run of events. They had been, the, the, the people of God had been rebellious, ignorant, and godless. In their taking of the Ark of the Covenant, they were breaking the covenant. But they had been breaking the covenant for years anyway. And they'd started to treat God as just someone who was there to do what they wanted to do, forgetting the fact that God is God. And we're not here to tell him what to do. We are here to serve him and to follow him. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because he is the one who is all wise and all knowing and all seeing. and all. Uh, he is so good. And we are not. We get things wrong all the time. We, are, we lack wisdom. We lack a, 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 
very often a hunger for, for, for the truth and righteousness. And that's what the Israelites were like. They'd turned away from God and God acted and took, <laughs> took away from them in that sense the symbol that they thought was going to save them because they were looking at the symbol, something to do with God rather than looking to God himself. And then God continues to act as we go on into chapter 5. Uh, and this time he's working amongst the Philistines. And the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. They're probably feeling quite smug with themselves. They've defeated the, uh, the Israelites. They've got their treasured thing that the, the, uh, the Israelites have been trusting in. And they took it to the temple of one of their gods, Dagon. And they set it up alongside the statue of Dagon. And they probably feeling, again, quite pleased with themselves. And it was a good day for them. And so probably they then went off to celebrate and locked the place up for the night. And when they came back the next day, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And the statue of Dagon had fallen flat on its face in front of the Ark. As if to say, even the gods of the Philistines bowed down to the true and living God. And they set it back up again. The following night, the same thing happened, except this time that the statue of Dagon was smashed into pieces. And then other things started happening. The people started becoming ill. They came up with uh, tumors and, and th uh, things like that. And it was just that town, and they began to think, is it because we've stolen this special box of the Israelites. Uh, it's, it's affecting us. And so they moved it to another town and the same thing happened there. The people became ill with tumors and the like. Uh, we read also that there were uh, swarms of mice across the, uh, uh, the land. And then when it happened again, uh, they started to say, let's send it back. Let's get rid of it. Um, they and they decide to return the ark with a special guilt offering back to Israel, as if, as if to say, sorry, we shouldn't have done this. It's interesting that in verse uh, 6 of chapter 5, that they uh, say, we mustn't be like the, <laughs> saying something along the lines of, we mustn't be like the Egyptians who hardened their hearts. We mustn't harden our hearts against this. It's interesting that they had learned the lesson from what happened in Egypt when uh, God was wanting to bring his, his people out of Egypt where they'd been slaves into the promised land. And again and again, the Egyptians refused to let them go. Pharaoh said, no, you shall not go. And we read there again and again, they hardened their hearts. So Philistines knew that. And they learned the lesson from the Egyptians. Don't harden your hearts against this God. And nothing good comes of doing that. And... It is interesting that they, they should take that view. And so what do they do? If we look into uh, the chapter uh, 6 now. Um, yeah, chapter 6, they decide to return at the ark. And in that chapter, they talk about the Egyptians. And that what they did is they built a new cart. They put the ark on it pulled by a couple of cows. Now, the, re, you can read the, the description, but they're basically cows who would have absolutely no interest in going anywhere uh, other than to stay with their calves. Uh, they're, they're yoked to this cart, and they'd never been yoked before, so this was a new experience for them. 
Uh, and really, these cows should have just been rebelling and not doing anything helpful at all. But when they were loaded up, they went straight back to Israel. Straight line, they didn't turn to the left or the right, we, uh, we read. And the Philistines then said, yep, their God was against us. We've done the right thing. It wasn't just coincidence. And actually, the Philistines, although they are godless, although they are evil, although they were people who did not know God, they actually showed a certain pagan wisdom, more so than the, uh, than the Israelites had done. And there are lessons still to be learned, and, but there are also blessings to come. The ark returns to Israel, and the, the, the town of Beth Shemesh, I think that's right, no, sorry, yes, Beth Shemesh. Uh, they, they take care of the ark, uh, they take it in, but they continue to treat it as some sort of you know, useful relic rather than symbolizing the covenant that God has with his people. And again, we find that people suffered and they died as a result of mistreating it. I think I'm right in saying that they looked, and some of them looked into it, and you're not supposed to touch it, let alone lift the lid and have a root around inside. And God moved in judgment upon them. And the ark eventually was sent to a place called kiriath Jerium, And that there it stayed for 20 years. And the people there consecrated someone to guard it and look after it. Now that's interesting because if they're taking, <laughs> appointing someone, consecrating someone to do it, they're beginning to take things seriously with regard to the people's relationship to God. And this is really a sort of turning point because Samuel that we met last week, is, uh, or we saw more of last week, uh, is now becoming the leader of Israel and it's leading on to the establishment of the kingdom. There is a sort of turning around, a restoring of Israel uh, to a true faith uh, in God. So what about us? We face days of darkness, don't we? We don't have Philistines on our borders. There's not uh, a, a group of uh, rebellious thugs between us and the Irish Sea. No relation to anything. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> that might be thought. I'm, I, I mean no disrespect to the Welsh at all. You, you, you know that. We don't face those sorts of, uh, of crises here in this land. But none of us, I think, would say that we don't live in days of darkness. Just need to read our newspapers, our, listen to the news reports, to see all the things that are going on around us that, uh, uh, where um, people are drifting further and further into darkness and Christians finding it harder and harder to live as Christians without conflict in this world. But we are God's covenant people. He loves us. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. We are people that he cares for so much that he sent his only son into this world to suffer and to die for us. He came and fought the battles that need to be fought so that we can be forgiven and set free. He has set his love upon us. And uh, we should be people who, therefore, 
seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. We certainly shouldn't treat God like some sort of lucky charm. You know, he's, he's going to do whatever we want him to do. So many people take that view. And, you know, they, they turn to him in times of trouble, yes. But it's very often to get them out of the trouble. When things are going well, they forget him. And even as Christians, we can take the view sometimes that, well, if we trust in God, then he will do this for us. He will do that for us. He will give us this. Uh, he will protect us from that. It doesn't make those sorts of promises. He promises hope and a future. He promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He promises to give us the words to say when we're being persecuted. He promises things like that. But he doesn't promise to give us the latest type of car. He, he promises that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he'll give us all that we he will provide all that we need, but not necessarily all that we want. But we are his people. And he will never, ever let us go. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ and be born again by the Spirit of God, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So we live in days of darkness, but we are his people. And we need to think about the choices we make, particularly when times are tough. See, I, I have a certain sympathy with the Israelites panicking when they're being overrun by the enemy. But that's no excuse for doing what is wrong. We need to think about the choices we make. Worldly ways of thinking may sound good and expedient, but it's God who sets our patterns of thinking. It's God who tells us what we should be doing. It's God who tells us how we should live, tells us what our priorities should be. And we need to read our Bibles and to come to meetings like this where we can learn more about these things so that we can be more faithful. Think about the desires that move our hearts. And they, they can be all sorts of things. And the choices we make are so often motivated by what we truly desire. Uh, I hadn't thought of this at the time when I uh, cho chose to... Uh, quote this particular passage, but treat this as a bit of a spoiler, but also an, an advert for our evening uh, 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 series starting this evening. Uh, verses from 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't allow the things of this world to seduce you away from God. It's not a matter of just being sincere. Sincerity is not the be-all and end-all of the matter. You can be sincerely wrong. Hophni and Phineas, for instance, would were safe in Shiloh with the Ark of the Covenant and then when they took the Ark of the Covenant they went with it. Do you think they would have done that? These self-serving, uh, uh, self selfish men who just wanted a good life for themselves, do you think they would have chosen to, gone in, to have gone into battle if they didn't think that the Ark might have protected them? They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. It didn't work. The other thing we learn from this passage is that God can look after himself. He's not going to be mocked. 
There have been many times in church history where the church has been persecuted almost out of existence in some places, and people think, ah, oh, we finally got one up on the Christians. But God doesn't stop. That doesn't stop God working in this world, raising up people, bringing salvation to people all around the world. Um, you know, the fact that his ark was captured by the Philistines didn't take away his power, it didn't take away his glory, it didn't take away his reputation. In fact, it enhanced it by <laughs> the people that had dealings with it learned the hard way that you don't mess with God. God is not going to be mocked, but woe betide the one who takes him in vain. And so coming to a close now, our response to this Have faith in Jesus, trusting in him and in his ways. Don't put your trust in the fact that you go to church on a Sunday. Good thing to do. Don't stop coming to church on Sunday. But coming to church on Sunday will help you, but it isn't the same as putting your trust in Jesus. It will help you to put your trust in Jesus. It's part of your covenant life to, <laughs> to, to be part of the children of God. And we belong to God's church throughout the world the church that he has made a covenant with. He will never leave us or forsake us. You can think of uh, the attitudes that, that we should have. We should expect to be different to the world around us, to the people in the world. Uh, it's, it's hard sometimes when all your friends and perhaps your family and your neighbours and the people that you work with and the people that you bump up against in buses and in supermarket queues and so on, that they have a completely different worldview to you. That's, that's going to be the case. If you're a Christian, you're going to be different. Expect it to be different. Accept that it is different and live it out. Ask yourself questions like <laughs> the, the old one. What would Jesus do if he was here facing this situation? What does the Bible say? about this situation, about our attitudes. Think of parts of the uh, Bible like the, the sayings that we call the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the, uh, the, uh, the, those who mourn. And mourning there, not referring to bereavement, that, but being sad about the way that things are, the sin in this world, but also the sin in us. Um, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake it, it turns so many of the world's attitudes on their heads and says the people who are turned on their heads are actually the right way up blessed are they don't follow the world's ways of doing things things like attitudes uh, to uh, things like power and money and security bitterness and revenge give way to forgiveness Greed, selfish ambition, gives way to contentment. Self-centeredness and pride gives way to humility. Trusting earthly riches gives way to trusting God's providence. Expect to be different and live it out. Don't be like the world. Be confident in who God is and what he is like. Don't be tempted to soften things in order to make them seem more acceptable to the modern world. 
The modern world is actually no different to what the, uh, the ancient world was. It's just it's maybe more technological and ideas can spread faster than they ever did in, in Roman days. At least they had to convey messages by horseback, whereas we just press a button and the whole world can know it. But ultimately, they were a people who were opposed to God, and that is how people are today. Be confident in who God is and what he is like. And if people think you're weird, well, we are. We are God's peculiar people, but that doesn't mean peculiar in that sense. But we are different. Expect it and take joy in it because it is that difference that makes us God's people. Or put it the other way around, really. We are different because we are God's people. And then remember the gospel of grace. Do you feel a failure? Have you listened to what I've been saying this morning and you're thinking, oh, I fall short of that. I'm not like that. I'm a failure. I I, I sin. I do things that are wrong. Uh, Do you feel that way? Can I say if you don't feel that way, there is something wrong with you? Come and talk to me about it afterwards. Every single one of us fails. Join the club. Actually, some of you already have. It's called the church. We are saved by grace, by Jesus. The grace bit means that, it, <laughs> that we are saved from it, but not because of anything we have done to deserve it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's you and me. He came into the world so that our sins could be forgiven. He came into the world to rescue people like you and me who, who get things wrong. And then he picks us up brushes us down, cleanses of all unrighteousness, says, come with me, I'll show you the right way. Knowing full well that at some point we will fall flat on our face again. And he'll pick us up, brush us down, do the same thing again. He is gracious to us. Trust in Jesus. When the devil comes and says, call yourself a Christian, you did this, you did that, you're useless, you're rubbish, you say, yeah, but I know the one who can save me. The Holy Spirit will also show you your sin, but it's not to lead you to despair when he shows you. It's so that you might become better and might know more of God's help and grace. Don't be discouraged by what you've heard this morning. Don't be, uh, find your hearts hardening against a God who oversees battles where hundreds and thousands of people are, are, are killed or anything like that. His desire is that people might have eternal life and might have life in this world and have it to the full. And he calls people like you and me to put our hope and our trust in him, to believe in him, not just say, yeah, I know he existed, but to believe in him in the sense that you're all believing in those chairs you're sitting on now. You wouldn't be sitting on them if you didn't believe that they could hold you. Trust Jesus in that way. You may not know everything, you may not understand everything, you may not necessarily agree with everything yet. But Jesus can save you. And in doing so, you will be born again by the Spirit of God. A new life will be born in your heart and soul so that you can walk with him and know him forever. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and praise you for your wonderful love and goodness. Lord, as we've read this disturbing story of people who 
treated you like some sort of lucky charm and found that it didn't work like that. Lord, we confess that we sometimes view you in the same way, that you're just there to meet our, our desires and our wishes. Or maybe, Lord, we've never really thought of trusting you or believing in you, but ourselves at all. But Lord, I thank you that you extend your arms of invitation to us. You stand ready to embrace us and to bring you into your family, to give us your Holy Spirit that we might be born again and a, a new life started within us. So Lord, help us to believe in you and to trust in you. And for those of us, Lord, who have been following you for years and decades, we pray that you might renew the fire that maybe has grown a bit cold, that we might learn to live and to love with you all our lives. Amen.